This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, uh, welcome everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime uh, viewers. So tonight we're going to discuss a little bit about Hanukkah. Now, the aspect that I want to discuss about Hanukkah will be specifically the oil. As this is a very common thing that many, many, uh, you know, Sfarim speak about the oil. Because it's something that sticks out. When you look at the, the holiday of Hanukkah, so you look at the majority of our other holidays. So we have, um, you know... Purim, we were going to be, you know, annihilated by Haman in one single day. We won, right? We celebrate, of course, we eat, and of course, we make feasts and things like that. Pesach, we were going to be, you know, keeping slaves, but we were freed. So we got every holiday, Shavuot, Matan Torah, every holiday, we have this, like, huge, like, like crazy thing, the miracle that happened to us, and we celebrate that. Hanukkah. We have something very interesting. There was a crazy miracle. It was, you know, it was at the time of, of the, the, the Greeks ruled the Jewish, uh, the Jewish people. And <clears throat> thank you very, very, very much. Thank you. So the Greek ruled the, um, the Jewish people. It was the time of Antiochus. And he decreed that anybody who is practicing Judaism will be killed. And not only killed, will be tortured. And they went and they, dis- they turned, the, they, they destroyed the, the Bet HaMikdash and they put the, you know, like a temple of Zeus inside the, the uh, Bet HaMikdash. And, you know, like they forbid, you know, also the Jews were, you know, some Jews were helping and the Hellenistic Jews. It was a whole, it was a whole issue in itself. And then came a group of elderly, you know, rabbis, the Matityahu and the the Kohanim of that time. And they fought against the strongest army known to man at that time. And they won. And then there was, you know, this little flask of oil that, you know, stayed lighting. And we sort of forget about the whole idea about this crazy war that just won. And we focus just on the light. And you look in the Gemara and Shabbat. In page Shabbat, in, uh, Shabbat, page 21b, says that, you know, discusses the miracle that happened during this time. And it says that the, um, you know, the Greeks entered the Bet HaMikdash. They contaminated all the oil. And then the, when the Choshmanim came in and they were looking for all the oil, they couldn't find anything except for one little flask of oil. And then they lit the oil and then it goes on and how it lasted for eight days. So, and it doesn't, it, it sort of speaks in a passing about this miracle of, you know, uh, the, the, that the, these, these five Jewish rabbis went on against the, the Navy SEALs at the time. And we don't even talk about that. We're dealing with the, like, no, no, let's focus on the oil. So, we, there's obviously something that is going on in this oil that we have to, that we have to crack the code for it. The, to put this in a little bit of a different perspective, imagine you have a, um, you have a close friend. And this close friend is just down on his luck. He, you know, like, he, issues with his marriage, issues with his children, issues with panasa, issues with everything. And you decide, you're well-to-do, you decide, you know what, you're going to take him on a little um, extravagant, you know, vacation to get his mind off things. You have the money, so you decide you're going to spoil him, spoil him silly. And you go... And you take this, uh, you know, you, 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 I don't know how it goes, you rent a private jet or you hire a private jet, and you take him to the most, ex- take him to Switzerland. Huh. reason why I take him to Switzerland is because I did research and I wanted to find out what is the most expensive hotel in the world, and it's in Switzerland. The most expensive uh, uh, the suite. And you decide you're going to take him to this, it's the Royal Penthouse Suite in the Hotel President in Geneva, Switzerland. In case you want to go after the class for, you know, Hanukkah break, you know. Um, the... Every, the, one night is only $67,000, um, so, you know, it's, it's not rounded up to the 70, they kept it 67, because every penny counts. So, you know, this is an 1800s, you know, square meter suite with, I think it has 12 bedrooms, each one with its own bathroom. So every hour of the night you could switch to a different room or however it is that you want to, uh, you know, play the game. And then besides that, you decide to take him to this nice place. You decide, you know what, you're going to rent him, you're going to leave this, this, this amazing, uh, car. You're going to, you're going to rent him out a two million dollar Ferrari. Just for him to drive around in the area because, you know, you can't, you need to drive the car. So apparently. <laughs> And then you do like all these crazy day trips, whatever, you know, like you take him to the, you know, the Swiss Alps. And, like the top of the top, you just shell out money after money after money after money. And then for 10 days, this is what you're doing. And then on the way back, you, you're driving back to the airport in this $2 million Ferrari and, uh, you know, to your private jet. And you get over there and you stop by. You're like, you know what, you're hungry. Before you want to, you want to grab a bite to eat. See a nice little kosher place over there. You jump in. It's a little mom and pop place. Uh, they make a little, you know, like a meat sandwich. And uh, you guys eat the sandwich and you go home. You go home. Each goes on their own way. A year later, you reunite with this friend. And uh, you're like, so remember that, uh, 
you know, vacation we went last year. Um, he was like, yeah. He's like, you know that sandwich? I can't get it out of my mind. He says the sauce on that. And he goes on for the next hour just thinking about that amazing sandwich that he did. And after that, he gets up and he just leaves. And they're like, are you serious? The sandwich? He says, let's show that over a million dollars on this vacation. And you're talking about a simple sandwich? That's all you care about? That's what we're talking about. God made us a crazy miracle. There was Jews... Jews, uh, you know, generally are not built to fight. We hire the fighters, or we train the fighters, or we sue the fighters, but we're not the fighters. That's usually where we go. So, you know, the fighters come to us, so we heal them as the doctors, and then we sue the other people. We're, we're the people behind the scenes. We're not the people in the front of the line. So we have here a bunch of people which are not fighters, beat the fighters, and we're like, no, 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 but the sandwich... The oil, that's what we're going to focus about. Does this make any sense to anybody? So, the, you know, it's, it's nice. It's, it's a nice added touch. If the Jews wouldn't have won the war, there would be no Judaism today. By the way, you know, if there was no Judaism, if, if that whole miracle of Hanukkah wouldn't have happened, not only Judaism would not exist, Christianity would not exist, and Islam would not exist. This came, you know, before Christianity and Islam. So, I'm talking about this story happened over, uh, 2,000 years ago. So, made up a hot for all those on, online. <laughs> Gotta drink a tea very slowly because it's so hot. <laughs> now you're gonna hear that sound. I Okay. Alright. It's delicious, thank you. Um, the, okay, now, the, if the miracle wouldn't have happened, so we wouldn't have Judaism. If the miracle of oil wouldn't have happened, so we would probably be a little thinner, a little healthier, because we wouldn't be eating oily food. So we wouldn't have latkes, right? And we wouldn't be eating jelly donuts that's soaked in oil. We wouldn't have these things. Is that? It's a serious thing because we take these things very seriously. Um, you know, these are these are you know like you know the thing what they said like every night you have to add, add another night of a donut. So the first night you eat one donut, the second night you eat two donuts, and if you don't eat the two donuts and you have a certain amount of time that you can eat those donuts, and if you don't eat it, it's very serious halachot. By the way, I'm joking for anybody, because like, there are going to be people that are going to get you know, some sort of heart failure from listening to the class, and they're like, well, the rabbi said I have to eat eight donuts tonight, you know? So I was like injecting the thing into my... Isn't there a thing about like eating a donut to cool off a pregnancy or something like that? No. Mm-hmm. no, seriously. Brought to you by Weiss's Bakery. No, seriously. <coughs> no, I was saying it was like seriously from the Rush Bomb or something like it was seriously brought down. There are, there are, there are schoolos on it, and it's possible. It's possible. I had to look. I was. I. I read. Truth is, I read it last year, so I didn't. I have to read it again. But I have a whole. I have a sefer that reads about the schoolot on, on Hanukkah. So it's possible. I can look it up afterwards if you want. I don't have the sefer here, but you have to remind me. Okay. So, um, the so there there's obviously something very special about this oil that we have to um, uncover. So, the Greek. The Greeks were known for their wisdom. In fact, the you know Greeks were Aristotle. Plato, Socrates, all the great thinkers came from this, uh, you know, from, from, uh, you know, from, from Greece. The Jews became very much into this Greek, you know, culture, the Greek wisdom. They were known as the Hellenists or the Misiavna. Misiavna means that those who turned Greek. So they went and they, they even built the gymnasium. We know the Greeks were very into sport. They built, uh, you know, the, the, these great, you know, uh, arenas that, uh, stadiums maybe would be a better word. And they would play these sports with them. And the problem with that is not so bad just in the sport in itself. But rather, before the sports, they would actually have to worship or pay tribute to their gods. And even Jews, when being that they, when they played in these arenas, they would play without any clothes. So the Jews also wanted to look like, if they want to compete in the games, they had to look like the Greeks. So they went under very painful operations to reverse their circumcisions. So they looked just like the Greeks. So the... The idea behind this is before we get a little bit more, I want to, I want to delve into a little bit about the Greek, the Greek, um, methodology or the Greeks, what the Greeks worship. You're talking about sophisticated people all the time, the people that pushed out the most, you know, advanced technology at that day, the, the, the most foremost thinkers of the day. Let's look about what they believed in. I want to take you in, and the point is not to do a whole class on uh, Greek gods, but I do want to take you on a little bit of a journey on their, on, on what they, Worship to get an idea of who they are. And the, the first thing that we have to know about the Greek gods is that they're all very human-like. 
They are all human-like with human emotions. Human, like the, the statues that you see of them are all like humans. Uh, they might have, you know, a little bit of tentacles here and there. But they are, in essence, human-like creatures. So everyone's very familiar, I'm sure, with the, with the Greek god called Zeus. Zeus was, he's the king of the gods. He controls the weather. His weapon is the thunderbolt. When I read this, it reminds me of like comic books when I read when I was younger. You know, like the, the waste of time, you know, like on this one's power is, you know, whatever, you know, like turn into, uh, to be honest, I don't remember anything. Okay, yeah. I'm trying to rack my brain for what I learned, but Baruch Hashem, I'm forgetting these things. So, yeah. The, and actually the Olympic Games, this was a festival that was, de- that was dedicated to the god of, uh, to the god Zeus. You want to know the origin of where this Zeus came from? So there was a person, person, God, uh, you know, no one really cares. So whatever it is, so there, that he was afraid, he was a king or a king-like structure, uh, person, entity, whatever. And he went, he was afraid that his children would go and kill him because that's what he did to his father to get to the throne. So what he did was, is that he started to, and you could look this up. I mean, don't waste your time with this nonsense, but you know, he would eat his, because according to Greek mythology, he would eat his own children so they don't go and they don't go and kill him later. So obviously his wife was very not into it. And, uh, the, they had the birth of their sixth child. They named him Zeus. And their wife, instead of giving him a child to eat, she gave him a stone to eat. So he ate the stone thinking that it's a child. Questions, you know, don't ask me. And then she took this Zeus and she put him in a cave. And this young god, whatever, is brought up by none other than a goat. Uh, that was his, you know, that's who brought him up. And as he got older, this guy, Zeus, went and he over, you know, he, he reunited with his brothers and sisters, whatever, and they re- they took over basically his father, they, they took care of him, and he became the god of all gods. That's how Zeus came, right? Completely, it makes sense. So, um... So, whatever, yeah. The, then, there was a wife of Zeus. We're not going to go to all the names. It's Avodah Zarah. There's no need to go into it. But I just want to give you a little bit of an idea on what they were dealing with. Because, um, again, these things are literally Avodah uh, Zarah. So, the wife of Zeus was the queen of the gods. Uh, but, but she was very jealous. She was a very jealous god because of all the affairs that her husband Zeus was having and all the illegitimate children that this other god was having. So these are, these are the people that people are praying to and looking up to. Then there was a god of war that, that, you know, that, you know, some were women gods, some were men god. Then there was something called, there was, it was the god of the sun, the truth, the music, and poetry. You know what this god's name was? His name was Apollo. You know Apollo Theater? That was opened up in February 1901. This was named after the Greek god of music. So when you go to Apollo Theater, which you shouldn't, and you go listen to whatever they play in Apollo Theater, so you, this is this is named after. I'm not saying it's a Vodazara, but this is named after the the you know the Greek god Apollo. Then there was also a god of fertility and agriculture, and a very interesting story with her as that she had a daughter, and this daughter was I don't know kidnapped by another god from the underworld, and um, this caused her a lot of grief because her daughter was kidnapped. So what she did was is she stopped there was there was like a famine. There was like no there's no more uh no more no more crops, no more nothing because she was so upset. Until another god came into the intervention and he said to this god from the underworld, hey listen you gotta bring her back. So they went and they reunited. But before he did that he gave her some food to eat because once he gives her food, you know obviously the halakha is in those days that they have to come back over there. So she knew she'd have to visit every year once a time and she was very happy with that. At least he'd get back again. If you're not following me very good um, you should not be following me. And then he goes and Every year, basically, she has to go and visit down this underworld, and that's why the crops don't grow for a certain period of time every single year. Makes complete sense if you are on drugs. The idea behind this, though, the idea behind this is what? The idea behind this is, look how far they went, not to show that, oh, no, no, God, there's no one God that controls the world. You know why there's a famine? Because, listen, um, <clears throat> there was, there was, <laughs> there was a funny story. Yeah, funny, funny story. So um, there was a God, and it got kidnapped, and da 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 until so just not show that there's one God. Then we know the famous God Poseidon, however you pronounce that, there was a God of the sea, you know, the trident, and this is actually, the people in that time would actually pay tribute when they go on ocean, they would throw this like, this hook into the ocean as tribute to the God of the ocean, not to go and, um, uh, you know, get, make them a safe, uh, a safe treat. Um, you guys are familiar with the, this uh, product line called Hermes, Hermes, I don't know, Hermes, yeah. So there was a God called Hermes. Hermes, Hermes, Hermes. Hermes is the company. Hermes is the god. Oh, okay, but it's spelled the same way. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because, but I checked um, their source, and I believe they did name it after that. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, I have to look it up again because I looked at a few things. It would be, anyways, another Greek god. Uh, there was another god, a god of war. This was not a popular god because no one liked this god because um, he was not really good. That basically, it. then there was a god of of emotions and the laughter and wine and all that. So the, they were basically polytheists and they were you know serv- worshiping all these other gods. There was also a god called Nike. Um, this god was a god of victory. Nike named its you know Nike just do it named after that. We don't know when you look into all these things. Some of these things are all based. I mean they're not. It's not Abu Dazra. I don't think if you buy Nike, you'd be like, okay, you can wear Nike now because Abu Dazra. But look where its foundation comes from. So there's a reason why I brought you through all this um, nonsense waste of time about Greek mythology and their Abu Dazra. The Alexander the Great. Um, when he, you know, he started ruling over the world, it, it was only a matter of time before he was convinced that he was not the son of his father, but he was actually the son of Zeus, and he was actually a god in himself. He, called, he considered himself very godly-like, or actually a, a god in essence. There is a Gmaam in uh, Tamid, page 32b, that says that... Um, he was traveling once, and he came to this like this river, and he had some fish. And there's two different opinions in it. One opinion says that the fish was, you know, as he was washing the fish, the fish came back to life, or the river was giving a very, very pleasant, uh, pleasant uh, uh, smell. And he's like, "There's something with this river." And he decided to follow the, the, the yellow brick road, which is the river, and Alexander. And he comes up, and it turns out that it's the entrance to Ganeden. This is the the river was coming out from Ganeden. So Alexander, this is the Gemara. Alexander says, "Open the gate for me." And the, they replied back, said, This is a gate only for the righteous, not for, not for the wicked. So he said, Listen, I'm a king, I'm a per- important person. If I can't come in, at least give me some sort of sevoner, you know, give me a magnet. I can put it on my kitchen, you know, like, you've been to Ganeidin. Um, give me something. So they gave him, a, you know, they wanted to give chop, and they gave him a very common thing to give him an eyeball. Here's a live eyeball. Enjoy. So he takes his eyeball. And he's like, he's like very interesting. So he takes his eyeball and he puts it on one side of the scale, and then he takes a bunch of gold and everything that he owns and he puts on the other side of the scale. And the gold weighs more than the eyeball, obviously, but the eyeball still outweighed it. And he's kept on piling more and more money and more gold and more valuables onto this, and the eyeball just kept on like sinking to the bottom. So he was very puzzled by this, and he brought it to the Chachamim, to the sages. And he said, how is this possible? So he says, because an eye is never satisfied. No matter how much you give it, no matter how much you accomplish, no matter how much, you, you, how much money you make, how much houses you buy, how many vacations you go, an eye is never satisfied. It always wants more. So they said, well, you do is like this. Put a little bit of dust on top of this eye. And the second that he put a little bit of dust in it, the, the eye went up and everything, all the gold actually weighed, weighed it down. So it's because everybody is always going and chasing, chasing after the, all the, the, the great that things that life can actually give us. And only until when? Until you're six feet under. Until you have a little bit of dust that's covering over your eye. And then nothing. You can't take anything with you. The Gemara goes on and says something very interesting. Alexander the Great went and he asked ten things to the sages. He had a conversation. He asked him ten questions. I'm not going to go through all ten. I want to go through three. He said to them, <clears throat> this is question number four out of the ten. He says, who is a wise man? Who is a chacham? And they said, somebody who, somebody who foresees what's going to happen is going to be a smart, is a, is a wise man. So he says, who is a, is a ugibo? Who is a wise man? Who is a mighty man? So he says, somebody who overcomes his desire, his evil inclination or his inclination. That was question number five. Question number six is, who is rich? And they, the Chachamim answered, somebody who is happy with, his, with, his, with what he has. What Alexander was asking them, he was trying to like, you know, some people like feeding with like, give me some compliments. Be like, who is the fair? You know, like, whatever. You know, you guys are women. So, you know, like when you ask, your husband, do I look pretty? You're not, you know, you're not expecting, well, no. You're, you know, you're like, you know, you know, it's like you ask the person, you know, like, you know. The woman goes over to her husband and says, you know, do I look fat in this dress? And she, he's like, he answers back and says, no, your fat makes you look fat. Uh, the dress has nothing to do with it. So, um, but generally, when a woman asks that to her husband, they're not going to be like, yes, you're fat in this dress. Rather, what, you're, what they're saying is, of course, you're, you're fishing for compliments. So what Alexander was doing over here, he was like, listen, you know, who's a wise man? He says, you know who my teacher was? His teacher was Aristotle. He says, who's a wise man? And like, not, not you. Somebody who foresees the, the, what's gonna come. So he says, oh yeah, okay, so who is somebody who's, who's strong? You know, I conquered the entire world. <laughs> no, still not you. Um, it's somebody who was able to overcome his desires. And we know that Alexander was very into his desires. He was a drunk, he was a, you know, was, you know, really went strongly after his desires. 
And then he, he said, um, what are we up to? Hacham, uh, um, wise, uh, who's rich? Somebody who, somebody who is happy with his lot. Because he says, listen, he had a lot of money. He had a lot of money. Puts all the wealthy people down today in their back pocket um, as pocket change. And he said, no, no, you're not considered wealthy. Somebody who's happy with what he has, he is considered wealthy. So the, the um, Alexander goes on and he says to them, he says, you know, we outnumber you Jews. You should fear us. Why don't you marry into us? Why don't you do that? So you know what the Chachamim answered? Listen very closely to what the Chachamim answers. They said, the Satan deceives. You are above now, but your end, you're going to descend into Gehenom, to hell. This is what they tell. There's no political correctness. Yes, Obama. Yes, of course. Yeah, we, we don't like Israel. Why would you know? No, of course. Let's give it to them. There was no political correctness. So, you know, no. He says, you're a wicked person. You're going to Gehenom. That's what, that's what the Chachamim told him. Um, so the, uh, Alexander the Great goes back to them. He says, you know, I should kill you. He says, you're holding me in contempt over here. So the Chachamim answer, says, yeah, you, you really could kill us. He says, but it doesn't befit a king to falsify his words. Because the, the Alexander Gay promised them that he's not going to go and, and uh, harm them if they just speak their, the, the truth. So we see over here that the, the essence of Alexander, the essence of Greek was all about me. All about how great am I. Tell me how good I am. And it's... Everything is surrounds the person. Everything is surrounds me. They um they they worship the human body, and that is why they they fought in this you know uh, you know these stadiums without any clothes because the human body was was that it was a temple. You know where people say you know like my body is a temple. That comes from Greek culture saying that the body was was an actual temple. Let's put that on pause a little bit on on the Greek culture and let's look at oil for a little bit. There's four interesting qualities in oil. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. okay, so now, um, the, look, when you look at oil, let's look at olive oil. The olive oil, delayed reaction, okay. <laughs> so the olive oil goes and, um, it's actually very refreshing, this tea, so thank you very much. So happy, it's perfect. Is that what it is? Mm, it's delicious. Okay. The, thank you. <laughs> olive oil. The way that you get olive oil is by crushing and beating the, the ripe olives. It's sort of, you're, you're really, really humbling these olives. You're like crushing them and destroying them to get the oil out of them. That's quality number one. Quality number two is that, uh, you know, if you ever cooked with oil or anything and it gets a little bit on your hand, it takes you like five minutes to wash this thing off. You get like any type of oil. When oil penetrates very, very, very deeply. And that is why they had... Um, you know, back in the day, they used to use these oils as a type of, um, like, medicines. Because it actually, when you, when you rub the oil, it actually penetrates deep into the, into the skin. That's number two. Number three is oil doesn't mix with other liquids. It always keeps itself separate. And number four is not only does it keep it separate, it also rises to the top. You put it, oil and water, doesn't matter what you put first, what you put second, oil is going to rise to the top. So, let us look at how these principles can apply to us. The crushing and the pressing of the olives is the notion of humility. Humility, you know, when you can actually see yourself or who you really are, then you have an ability to grow. But if you constantly put a block, there are certain people that can't be criticized. Those people are not going to be able to grow. Because they can't, no, you can't tell me I'm not doing anything wrong. Either it could be low, low self-esteem, it could be a you know, variety of, of reasons. But the reason is, nonetheless, that they're not going to be able, the bottom line is they're not going to be able to grow. The second one is the fact that we said that the oil penetrates very deeply. When you are arrogant, you are incapable of sharing yourself with others, and you're not inca- you're not capable of having others share themselves with you. the The real you is always is always hidden. This is why I tell I tell this to to young couples that are that are getting married and engaged, and especially in this community that the parents want a mixed wedding, a mixed dance wedding, and they don't want a mixed dancing wedding. And they say, "Listen, we tried to talk to my parents. They said, no, we're going to do it this way, and they're paying for it. What am I supposed to do?'" So I answer always the same thing, and it always it, it always works if you actually listen to the to the advice. Is is if you go to your parents and you tell them from the bottom of your heart, you open up, you become vulnerable to them, and you say, "Listen, I, I love you, and I appreciate, it, and I know this is what you want, and I know, but but this is something that's extremely extremely important to me." The more that you open up, and the more vulnerable that you show yourself to your parents, what do you think the parents are going to be like? No, still, I'm going to have no. A parent wants a child to be happy. And they will overcome their own happiness and their own needs and wants to make a child happy. And if you show them how, how sincere you are in this, you think they're not going to want, they're not going to want to do it. And this is the secret behind getting anything that you want in life. The, the, this is what, this is the main thing. Well, it worked. I spoke to a few, you know, and, and it actually worked. So it depends on, the, I guess, the Gorski families. Uh, the, <laughs> but I really feel that work. At the end of the day, maybe they just didn't try hard enough. If you're vulnerable enough, what do you think the parents are going to make you suffer? Be like, no, 
You, of course not. They don't. That's not what parents are they are into. Are interested at least most one most parents. Um, so the idea is when you make yourself vulnerable, when you open up to others, you're able to penetrate a lot deeper. You're able to get inside that other person, that other person is able to understand you in a much higher level. That is the idea that, you know, when people are dating and they have this hard, this, they're sort of, you know, I get this from both sides, from both the men and the woman, they have a hard time opening up. Like, if you have a hard time opening up, you're not going to be able to make a connection. Why don't they want to, you know, open up? Because they don't want to get hurt. Like, you got you to gotta try something. Granted, you might get hurt. Yeah, you might. But that's why we have the whole shit of process to sort of prevent a lot of those issues. But at the end of the day, in order to get connected to somebody, you have to open up. The same idea, the, the oil is able to seep very, very deep in. It's able to have that ability. If you open up, if you take rid of that arrogance, that, and you, you take a little bit of that humility, you open up, you're going to be able to penetrate it very, very deeply in relationships. Besides that you penetrate deeply in relationships, you have to know there's something very distinct. That, uh, you know, there's some people, when they become, let's say, let's say a group of friends, they sort of merge into, like, one being. They start having the same likes, they start doing the same things. You have one guy who never wanted to smoke, but everybody that's friends is smoking, so eventually he ends up smoking. You have certain girls or whatever, they get into a certain, a certain thing that they get into, all of a sudden everybody gets into this uh, thing that they get into. Even though you're supposed to go and open up and, and whatever, especially to your spouse, or close friends, whatever it is that you're opening up to, you still have to have your distinct identity. It's you and it's not them. You have to still remain who you are, similar to the oil, like, even though it's able to penetrate penetrate very deeply, but it still keeps separate. It's still separate. I want to share with you something from that Rabbi Nachmendel of Kotzke said, and we said this before, but I think this line is amazing, and I have to, I'm going to quote a few word for word. If I am I because you are you, and you are you because I am I, then I am not I, and you are not you. But if I am I because I am I, and you are you because you are you, then I am I, and you are you. You followed me? Yeah. Say that ten times fast. Okay, so <laughs> the... The idea behind this is, is that if you are trying to be somebody because somebody else, then that's not really you. If somebody else is trying to be somebody because they, then it's not them. And that change never stays. The only way that you are able to change is only if you change for you. And in order to change for you, you have to make, you have to want that. You have to want that change. And that's the step that takes into there. So that was the third aspect of the oil. Which even though you're opening up, you're able to get deep into, into, you know, in a relationship, you're still, you still have that, that ability to stay distinct and to stay separate. Finally, is the fourth process that, that, that it rises to the top. If you follow these three processes, you always rise to the top. You always will be above. The, the, you know, the idea of, of, rising to the above is strong, it holds very, very strongly when it comes to Hanukkah. And I want to share with you something that the, Shem Ishmuel brings down. Brings down in Hanukkah. He says, you know, that the Greeks, we know they defied all the oil. How did they do that? Have you ever thought about that? What, were they like, dame, 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 you know, uh, you know, like a little kid, you know, I licked it, you can't touch it, it's mine now, you know, so you lick all the donuts in the bag, now it's all defiled, you can't touch it. What is the problem if a, if a, if a Gentile that worships Avodah Zarah touches the oil? Are you allowed to use the oil? Yeah. If it's wine, we know wine is a problem. Wine you cannot use so you, that, that if an if a idol worshiper touches. But oil, what's the problem with oil? Says the Shemish Mor, it quotes the Bamid Baraba. Midrash says like this. It says that the, there were three gifts that were given in the world, and anybody who merits any one of them takes delight in all the world. And these are the three gifts. It's wisdom, strength, and wealth. And he says wealth is the most external to the person, uh, as it's not actually part of the person, and it's visible to others. Other people are able to see if this person is wealthy, and obviously you could hide it, but it's the most external, and this way you could see it the, um, you know, the most. Strength is less external, but it's still, you know, and I'll give you an idea, you can't, when you look at a person, you can't say like, oh yeah, this person is very strong. I have seen like very, people that look like they're, they're scrawny little people, and they could, they could lift so much weight, and then you see somebody who's like six foot five, you know, like 400 pounds, he looks like he ate four of those skinny guys, and he can't lift, he can't lift a half of what that skinny guy could lift. I see that all the time. The, the strength doesn't always show up by what the, it looks outside. So it's, it's, it's less external than wealth, but it's still it's still more external. However, wisdom of the three are the most concealed. It's something that's in it. You can't you can't look at a person and say like, oh yeah, this person is smart. You can't. You know, there are many people that are very well dressed and they speak gibberish. They they you know you can't even make sentences out. And there are some you know look at mad scientists. They look like with the hair is you know like Einstein here. You know they're all over the place. You look at them, you think like, okay, I don't know where he came from. He's wearing the lab coat. Maybe he belongs in the place under the lab coat. You know like we're you know and and it turns out this guy's a genius. So wisdom is very very much hidden um, to the um, uh, to the outside eye. The three early exiles prior to Hanukkah 
is characterized by these three things. Babel was characterized by strength. They were known for their strength, their power, their might. They were their might. Parasu Madai, the story of Purim. They were known for their wealth. We know in Esther, the first uh, first chapter in the fourth uh, pasuk, it says that Achashverosh was sowing everybody his wealth. He was it was an extremely extremely wealthy um, um, you know country. The Greeks were known for their wisdom, and each one we're going as the same uh, one that we uh, spoke uh, prior. So now the the Greeks were known for the wisdom, and not only did they oppress the Jews, but they also tried to, to, to take over their wisdom. They tried to take that Torah wisdom and defile it. It wasn't just like the oil. There's a lot, it went, it went a lot deeper. They tried to take the whole wisdom of the Greek mythology and put it into the Jews. Forget about you. Forget about, you know, being upright. Forget about the Torah. Focus on this. This is the right wisdom. And we know oil in Torah, in Torah thought, expresses wisdom. You know, the, in the time of the Beta, when the Beta Mikdash was built, Shlomo Melch did something very interesting. Is that you know in the olden days when they had windows, so the the windows were narrow on the outside and the inside it, it was wide, so we could let out the the light, but at the same point in time keep a little bit of modesty so it doesn't uh, you know show that people can't look at it because it's a very narrow uh, narrow slit of the window. The Beta Mikdash was done exp- completely opposite. It was narrow on the inside and it branched out on the outside. To show really that, that, uh, you know, this, the, from the wisdom that comes from the Kodesh Katishim, the Menorah, which we know that is, is based off wisdom, is, is, is putting out wisdom to the entire world. And it's narrow on the inside, so as not to go and bring all the bad influence into the world coming in from outside. So that is, the, the oil is, is the wisdom. And we know people that they, you know, they pray towards the Menorah, that, you know, there, there are certain things that were, that were focused for the wisdom, as opposed to the Shulchan for Panasa, so there are different things on it. The Greeks wanted to contaminate the Torah wisdom, the oil of the Jews, and defile it with Hellenism. The, there was, however, something that the Greeks could not pollute. And that was the internalized the secrets of the Torah. They couldn't get to the secrets of the Torah. It says in Eov, in the 28th chapter, in the 12th verse, it says that, Wisdom, where it will be found? But you can read it a little bit differently. You can read it, that wisdom, it will come out from nothingness. Me'ain is from nothingness, it will be found. You know where you can get the real wisdom? From nothingness, from humility. We know that humility plays a very, very strong, war, uh, you know, um, you know, high level of standing in Judaism. The, we know that, that Moshe Rabbeinu, he was the, the most humble person of, that ever lived, and we knew he knew the most secrets of the Torah. He knew the secret of the Paraduma, where no one else knew. He knew secrets that nobody else knew because of his humility. There is disputes in the, you know, in the Mishnah between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Who do we pass like? Like Beit Hillel, it's a very large, you know, they were, they were known for their humility. The Aaron Akon, which all, you know, he was known also for his humility. So we have the, the, the wisdom is really sort of cloaked in this, in this character trait of humility. The Greeks represent the complete opposite of humility. Aristotle proclaimed something so arrogant. He said anything that he was not able to understand was by definition untrue. That, you know, imagine you go on a date and there's a guy who says that. You first should run very far away. Um, you know, maybe throw some, you know, whatever. Like, uh, but run very, very far away. I don't have arrogance of that. Anything that you don't understand is by definition not true. I have arguments with these type of people sometimes. Um, they claim, oh, you know, like, I, I don't understand God, so it's, uh, so it doesn't exist. I'm like, oh, oh, really? Oh, so you're the, you're, the, you know, the litmus test, I guess. You're, I guess we'll run everything by you. Do you understand how medication works? How does an airplane fly? You know, yeah, so, well, I know it works, whatever. They, they say there are people that deal with just so, so much arrogance, there's nothing to talk about. You can't, you can't speak to them because they're all up on their high horse. The influence of the Hellenism was, was, it was very far-reaching. It reached everywhere, but it could not reach the inner aspect, the inner wisdom of the, that possessed by the Jews. The, <clears throat> you know, the, the military victory was awesome. It was unbelievable. It was really crazy. But it didn't last. This is something that it stayed for a little bit and, uh, you know, eventually, you know, Rome took over and we, it, the Beth Amikdash was destroyed. But something did last and that is the oil. The oil, what and what it represents. The oil is that, that flame, that flame that is hidden in each and every person, that little flask of wisdom that is deep inside. They only found one, only one flask of wisdom. But guess what? They lit it. It lasted for eight days. They, there's a, a flask of wisdom and hidden in every single Jew. This was, this is, is for eternity. All you have to do is find that flask. Once you find that flask, you light it. It's going to be stay up forever. The idea behind this is think of it like this, you know, like why are we making such a you know big idea on the on the on the oil? And I heard this this very nice little uh, shot, this uh, explanation. There is um, two k- 
kids that are they're playing hide and seek. And uh, you know, one kid, you know, like to a certain point in time, like no one could find him. So he gets out and he goes to his father and he starts crying. And he says, his father says, Why are you crying? He says, Because I was playing hiding and seek and and the father says, well, What's the problem? He says, But no one found me. So he's like, Good, that means you won. And the kid said, No, but they stopped looking. He says, That's why they couldn't find me. He says, When you we go the miracle of Hanukkah, you know what the miracle of Hanukkah was? Was we were searching for God. We were searching for God. We went off. We went, we were, we were too much in the Hellenistic culture, the Greek culture, and we just wanted to find God. We were, we would have been able to light with any oil. There was not a, it was not a halachic issue, like can we, we can only light with this oil. We can light with any single oil that we would have found it would have been completely kosher. Tumahutra ben Sibur. We would have been allowed to do it. But we went to hide for God. We went to, to search and search for God, and God was hidden. But then we found Him. That was the miracle. The miracle was that we went to search for Him. We searched for God. And when you, when we found that, it was, it was the feather. We have to search each and every one of us inside of us. There is something that's hidden in each and one of us. This, this, this little piece, this little piece of spirituality. You find that in each person, whether they're secular, whether that, it doesn't matter. You find that, you like that, they're good for life. It's gonna last forever. I want to finish off with one, with one story. It's a story I read um, uh, recently that um, this there was once a, a you know a guy he was uh, you know becoming more religious and uh, but you know it was, it's a process and uh, he was one Shabbat he was on the beach you know again didn't know all the halachot so he was sitting on the beach on Shabbat and uh, there was a woman that was it was in California and it was a woman that uh, was walking there with her two children. And she says, you know, excuse me, sir, do you by any chance have some juice? Not for me, for my children. You know, I, I don't have anything to give them, and they're really, really thirsty. So the man says, yeah, yeah, by all means. He took, uh, you know, the, you know, he had some bottled water or juice, and he gives it to the kids. The woman, you know, they drink it, they say thank you, and they walk away. This guy, he remembers that he's keeping Shabbat. He doesn't know what overcame him, and he's like, shalom. You know, you ever gone anywhere, anywhere ever, and you see somebody, and that's like, oh, you're Jewish? Shalom. They're like, oh, you speak my language. I'm so connected to you right now. I feel like we just shared a moment. And the way, he's like, what are you talking about, man? I just said shalom. And he goes, well, do that. It's interesting, uh, you know, what happens. Um, but, you know, because you see, they're like, oh, yarmulke. They're like, hey, you know, kosher, right? Yeah. Um, so the so he goes, and he has no idea. He's just said shalom. And then and then she turns back at him, and he's, she's like, uh, shabbat shalom. And he's like, He's like, oh, Shabbat Shalom. He's like, and he's like, and she's like, why did you say Shalom? He's like, I didn't even know why I said Shalom to you. He says, you don't even look Jewish. And she's like, I'm not Jewish. So he says, so how do you know about Shabbat Shalom? He says, because my husband is Jewish. Um, and, you know, we very, you know, he was very, you know, not into the spirituality, thing, but I really wanted my kids to be, you know, spiritual. And they got to talking and they sort of, you know, she sort of opened up her, her story. In summary, um, she said that, you know, that, you know, she married this this Jewish guy, but her, you know, her husband was very adamant against sending the children to a Jewish uh, school. He didn't want any part of religion in the house. So, after a certain point in time, he started drinking. He started acting out against the kids, against the wife. So she decided she's going to run away. And she took her two children and she ran away. And she says, "Actually, we're living in our van because we don't have anywhere to go." And she says, "You know, all I want to do is I want to teach my children that there's some sort of godliness, there's some sort of spirituality in the world." So the, this man, hearing this woman and, and her, you know, her situation, he's like, he's like, you know what? Believe it or not, I, I know a place that you could stay for a few weeks until you get back to your feet. And she's like, he's like, really? You, you, you would do that for me? He's like, yeah, yeah. He says, you know, and you know, they took her. I don't know if they waited after Shabbat. I don't know what the story was, but they went and they took her out of the van. And um, he went and he gave her this little apartment that, he, that you know that he had available that she was able to stay with her two children. So this woman. Kept on pressing because this guy is, a, is, a, is he's not religious yet, but he's Jewish and he's getting closer to religion. And she, he says, uh, she goes to him and he says, listen, you know more Judaism than I. Please teach my children something about Judaism. So, you know, he didn't know, you know, Hanukkah was coming up. So he decided he's going to teach them how, the blessings of lighting the menorah, lighting Hanukkah. So that's what they did. And they, you know, every, every day they came and they practiced, the, you know, the blessings, they practiced some songs. And, um, you, know, you know, it was a very odd scene going on because here you have a Jewish man who's not really religious teaching two non-Jewish children about Hanukkah while the mother ran away from the father who was Jewish. It was a very interesting situation. Anyways, the one night, you know, the, it was, you know, the time, you know, was, was getting closer to Hanukkah. And one night, um, you know, every night they would come and they would practice the, you know, the blessings and the singing and, the, and how to light. And they didn't come. So the man was getting a little bit nervous. Was like, what's going on? So late. No, she's not coming here. Eventually, a short while afterwards, she she burst into the house, frantic, screaming, like, you know, he took them, he took them, he took them, I don't have them. And he's like, what are you talking about? He says, you know, her husband found out where she was, took the children, took him to his, to, to his parents' house, or the children's grandparents' house, and they were not going to let me see them. 
So, um, so you know, shouting and screaming hysterically, she, the, you know, the this man said, you know, let me let me call the, you know, your 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 husband or your your you know your in laws. Let me see if I can speak to them. So. He phones his, his uh, her in-laws, the children's grandparents, and says, listen, you know, they were staying by me. And, you know, they were talking a regular civilized conversation. The parents saw that he was, the, you know, a decent person. And they said, listen, can we, you know, at least visit, can the mother at least visit the children? So they said, um, you know, you could come to visit, but only for 15 minutes. That's all you're going to get for 15 minutes. And, um, you know, it happened to be that night was, you know, it was Xmas. And it was also, you know, it was also one of the nights in Hanukkah. And, uh, the, you know, so the, the mother said, the mother of the, of the two children said, you know what? So going for 15 minutes, at least let, let them go and light some menorah, let, light them something. But she goes and, and she decided that they went together because she was going to, you know, sing with them the songs and tell them how to light. And as they're getting closer to the parents' house, uh, to her in-law's house, she says, you know, I have to tell you something that even though my, my in-laws are Jewish, they are, you know, very, very adamant about not being Jewish. And they celebrate Xmas, like you've never seen, it. like Machmer, you know, like the most, like the Hasidim of the of the Xmas. They like do the most that they possibly can for the Xmas, very extravagantly. So he says, "Okay, fine. You know, I guess you know we'll do what we can." So they go and they travel up to this beautiful house in Sacramento, California. And uh, this guy goes out with this woman, and they go with this little disposable menorah and some candles. And um, he looks at this house, which is bedazzled to you know you could see it from outer space. You know, it's like lighting up and everything. And uh, you know they ring the bell. The grandfather opens up the door. His mouth drops. This guy, this guy was with the, you know, that's taking care of the of the kids. His grandfather was just fully dressed in Santa Claus, like from head to toe, jolly, everything painted, whatever, like rosy cheeks, like everything to like to the T. And he's like, um, he's like, all right, you guys have uh, fifteen minutes. So the kids see their mother, see that this this man that was helping them out. They ran over, they gave them this big hug, um, and they said, you know, the mother said, you know, the mother who's not Jewish said, listen, he said, we only have 15 minutes. Let us go, let us quickly light the menorah, at least get the song out, and at least we get that for the, the 15 minutes that we have. So the, um, you know, they quickly, they put this menorah very nicely next to the Xmas tree, and uh, hopefully lighting the Xmas tree. No, I'm kidding. They went and... Um, they uh, they went and they gave the kids the candles and the kids practiced it. They knew it and they started saying the blessing. After they said the blessing, they lit the the candles like they're supposed to do. And then the kids said, you know, they were so excited. You know, they're actually lighting the candles. They said, you know, can we sing the song that we practice? And they were, the mother was like, sure. And the man, together with the kids, they started singing the songs. Uh, they sang the song Ma'os Tzur. After they finished the last uh, verse of the song, the you know this guy turns around and he sees he took take a look at the grandparents and sees to his amazement that uh, Mr. Santa Claus and Mrs. Santa Claus they were you know they were holding hands and Santa took off his beard took off his hat and he had tears in his eyes and uh, even the husband who was there also also was full with tears of the eyes and the husband pulled aside his wife and he says you know. He says, when the children were lighting those candles, I felt something special. And I promise you that I'm going to find them in Hebrew school to enroll them. When the woman heard these, these words, a smile for the first time in a few weeks broke out of her face. And as time went by, she decided that she wants to undergo conversion. She started getting closer and closer to, to uh, um, you know, religion. And her children started becoming more observant, um, <clears throat> which is a slight problem if they're not Jewish. But they, um, she decided she's going to undergo conversion. The problem was, is that her grandmother was a very, very devout Catholic. And, you know, her mother, you know, passed away when she was young. She didn't know who her father was. So she decided that, you know, you know, her mother, her grandmother raised her as a devout Catholic. If she finds out that she's turning into Jew, you know, that's, whew, forget about it. You have no place in the, you know, in their world. So she decided, you know, like she, she wants to convert, but she has to tell her grandmother. I mean, she can't hurt her. So she calls up her grandmother and says, you know, grandma, I, you know that I've been interested in Judaism for quite a while now. And um, I've made up my mind that I'm going to convert. And I, I'm just sorry if I'm going to disappoint you because I know that you're very devout Catholic. So please, please don't be angry at me. When the grandmother heard these words, she began to cry. And she says, you know, I have to tell you something. And she says, you know, I went through the concentration camp during the Holocaust and survived. And afterwards, I came to America, and I promised that I will never, ever make my children go through what I went through. And I decided I'm going to give them the best life possible by showing them the complete opposite of Judaism, and I went into Catholicism. And she says, you know, you don't have to convert. You are already a Jew. 
So what do we see from this? See, all you needed is that little light, the little spark in every one of us is there. It's there. It's hidden. It's hidden deep in the recesses and all of our hearts, but it's there. It's there. We got to go and we got to search for it. Just like the Hashmanaim, the Kohanim went and they searched for that little flask of oil hidden inside in it. They found this one pure, this one like pure just want to do good, just want to be close to God, that one pure little flask of oil. When they found it, there was something miraculous, but it wasn't such a big miracle because that's what it is. That's it is who we are. Our spirituality, our wisdom, that's our oil. You find that. You find that in each and every one of you and each and every one of your friends. You find that and you like that, you will be good. Eventually, everybody's going to come around and B'zat Hashem, everybody will come around. We'll have Mashiach, B'meheha, B'amenu. We'll get a light the Hanukkah candles in Yerushalayim. Any questions? No questions. Yeah, didn't isn't the reason that they couldn't use the um, the oil because the guy broke the coin seal? Yeah, but you don't need a seal for the for that. I thought you do. That's what they couldn't use. And they found nope, they could have used it. They don't have a trebuchet, but they could use any oil. Really? Mm-hmm. So I didn't get that. The point that we're remembering is that they searched for the oil. So why did they search for oil? Because oh, so why? Oh, great question. What was the whole point of it? If they could have done it, because. You know, like, if you're, there's a certain, you know, I, I speak with a lot of people who do a lot of bad things in their life, and they get very emotional, they just, they just want to do good already, you know, they're, they're finished with that, and they want to have this clean, and there's like a certain, you know, you know, like, this, this like, urge, like, I just want to do good, I just want, we, we didn't have the temple for a while, we, it was defiled, it was, everything was just done bad, we didn't want, we weren't satisfied with like, okay, we want to do the best that we could possibly do. That, that, that urge, like, I just want to do it perfectly. I just want to do it the way that it's supposed to be doing on the highest level possible. So they went and they searched for that oil, even though they didn't need it, because they wanted to show God, God, we're not just doing it just to get out. We're doing it because we want to show you how much this means to us. It, it, there's, it completely means something else. When you're just doing something, as opposed to it just, you know, you know, like, give you an example like this. Um, when you have, uh, when someone gives you a gift, and the gift is, you know, just given. It's nice. But imagine they went through the whole thing to wrap it. And they put a nice little note to it and how much you mean. Many times the wrapping, even though you rip it off to see what's inside, but the wrapping and the note, that means a lot more than the actual gift itself. It's, it's that what shows you inside. Now, when you look at this in, in, the, in, the, in the Hanukkah perspective, God had to save us. I mean, we're his children. What he's going to do? You know, otherwise, the world would cease to exist. So he had to save us. The miracle of the Choshmanim had to happen. But the miracle of the candles, that didn't need to happen. No, the God would be like, you're not going to find anything. You don't need it. That that little finding is that little bow, that little extra wrapping around the gift of Hanukkah. That shows that shows God that I didn't save you because I have to. I saved you because I want to. That's why I saved you. And we go back to God and be like, we're not doing this because we have to. We're doing this because we want to. Because if we just had to do it, we could have done it with anything. We're showing God, no, 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 we're doing it to the top level. That's why when you do mitzvot, it's best to do a little bit extra. It's best to do just a little bit extra, a little bit nicer. Beautify it. You have to be modest. Just do a little extra. You have to pray. Just do a little extra covenant. You'll be, you'll, 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 you know, you'll pass. You got that check mark. You know, yeah, you kept Shabbat. You did it right. You're very good. But when you do it from like, oh no, I want to do it something, you add a little bow into it. You add this little, this wrapping into it. That changes everything. And that's what we went through this. God gave us that little bow. We gave that bow also right back. Make sense? Any other questions? A non-Jew is allowed to pour you like liquor. I mean, not allowed to you liquor. Wine, specifically wine. Just wine. Yeah, Just unless it's mabushel. What does that mean? You'll see on the bottle it says mabushel. It's like coke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering if all the Greek mythology, if they were such rationalists and so into science, what would they be any more like atheists? Right. So the reason. Oh, very good. So I didn't actually speak about this. What was the whole idea? You know what they were doing by building all these gods? You know, who in the same mind can believe that? I mean, come on. You know, like this. I mean, granted, some of them believe them, but the, the, the people that started it, the idea behind it was, no, no, no. We, they're giving them an okay to do everything that they wanted to do. They wanted to chase their desires. Listen, if Zeus has, uh, you know, illegitimate children, what's the problem? You know, like we could have it. We could become just as powerful. You okay things. It makes it okay. There's no conscience to it. No, this is allowed. This is fine. So they build this whole thing chasing after me, chasing after be the big I. I'm the arrogant me. Everything goes after what I want and what I desire. That is exactly what's 100% opposite from the Torah mythology. There's a lot to speak about it. I know we went a little bit uh, fast on it. But, uh, but I think the idea here is, is really phenomenal. And there's really important. Yes. The kosher kitchen? Something about kosher kitchen? I have kosher kitchen in my alarm. I don't know why. 
Uh, what are you? No, you told me to remind you. About a co- Oh, thank you. Yes. Oh, look at that. That's unbelievable. I met a couple a while back that they have this, um, and I wanted to put this on camera, so very good, thank you. There, You know, there's some people that have become more religious, and they don't know they have their dishes when they were not religious. How are they supposed to go and, um, and, and you know, yeah, like redo the whole kitchen, like get rid of everything? There's a rabbi out there, and I hope he doesn't mind me putting it up over here um, and on, on camera, that he comes to your home, with a big pot, and he tells, and he basically makes everything kosher, and he tells you what it can be or what it can't be. Um, it, you know, he can't do it, and I'm going to tell you, I believe this is it, and I hope that he doesn't mind me saying this, but I, I think it's a great, uh, great, you know, it's a really thing. I really don't think that he would mind. That's why I would say it. It's called Go Kosher. Go search Go Kosher online, gokosher.org, I think it is, and he is able to go. Comes into your house with a big pot. Kosher's everything, tells you how to do it. He sits over there. He like he does. You sit back and he does everything for you. And I don't even think he charges. It's just like by donation or things yeah, like that. It's unbelievable. So if anybody is in that situation and they want to go and they want to be, make their kitchen kosher, go to this. GoKosher.org. This class is brought to you by GoKosher.org. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the business card right next to you. Yes. Okay. What is this? Um, it's called One Tehili. This class is co-sponsored by One Tea Lead. So this is an app, right? This is an app that you go and you're allowed... Oh, that's very cool. It's only in the app store, it looks like. So yeah, right now... Right now, it's only in the app store. Okay. It's free. You can make up Lean groups. You can send out an emergency Lean reading. It's called One Tea Lead. O-N-E-T-E-L-L-I-M. Please go to it. Go say Tea Lead for your fellow Jews, for yourself. It is great. Um, that's that's amazing. That's really good. Yeah. Hebrew and English. Hazakabul. Yeah. Unbelievable. Hazakabul. Any other questions, announcements, sponsorships? I don't know. We're doing everything here. Um, if Hashem had to save us, he didn't. would he have had to save us like by the Hashem? Technically, if the Greeks would have won, Hashem just would have saved us another way. We still yeah. would have kept everything. Oh, so you're saying we could have... Yeah, you're saying could have been done another... But ultimately yeah. would have been saved. Right. So it didn't have to happen... It didn't have to happen this way. Time. It didn't happen, right. Everybody says it has to happen here. No, it didn't. But it, it, it had to happen it ultimately. Eventually. Right. So eventually the, the same, the re- end result would have been the same. However, you know, depending how the result came out. So yeah, granted, it's a crazy miracle. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't, uh, any other questions? Yeah. Why was Alexander the Great able to like even see the gates of? Oh, good question. No clue. Why, why did he have that ability? He was able to, there's stories in the Gabbah where he went and he got into a place that there's, it's a, it's a place that's only ruled by women. It's very, you know, there's interesting stories about him. How to understand that? Not today's discussion. Um, but it's also, it's also very deep and complex. Did he have, you know, how the, how you read into these stories? Any other questions? Off camera. Off camera only. Okay. Chazakabu. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.